Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm again joined by Beth Bashert. My friend Beth Bashert wears many hats. She's a longtime community activist a parent, a grandparent, and spouse of Lisa Marie Bichette. She's an out and proud leader in the LGBTQ community. Beth works in sales at an Ann Arbor auto dealership, and she is the mayor of the city of Ypsilanti, Michigan. In these days of COVID-19, Beth is right at the heart of many decisions impacting not just her family and employment, but the lives of her friends, community, and constituency as well. How is Beth and her family handling the constraints of social isolation and distancing? What are her observations as someone whose employment has been directly impacted by the epidemic? How is it affecting members of the LGBTQ community? And how, as an elected official, is she leading in this time of crisis? These are all things we'll be talking about today. Beth, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I am doing weird. You know, it's a weird time right now. I know. How's the family? So far, we are healthy and well. I do have an aging mother, but there's that. Uh, mm-hmm. She's taking what precautions she can manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're so far we're well. Thank you for asking. The community is stressed, but mm-hmm. so far, doing pretty well, I think. Well, you know, that's... That's partly why I thought, you know, I mean, you are, okay, you're involved in the community. You're a member of a community. You're not just, you know, a leader, a political leader, but you are involved in the community. You know, you've got family, and you're in an industry that's sort of hit, too. And it's sort of like, it's like, wow, you know, you're like, who'd have thunk it, you know? Who'd have thunk it that it would come like that? You know, so um, are you guys isolating, socially isolating? Are you interacting with your neighbors at all, or are you just, like, hunkering down there in the house? These are some great questions. Um, So, you know, our daughter and her family, including our two grandchildren, live a block and a half away from us, and we're not even visiting them. 
Wow. We are engaging with our neighbors from a distance, walking mm-hmm. through the neighborhood, walking our dogs. We are um, modeling social distancing to the best of our abilities. Um, I struggle with it a little bit more than Lisa, my wife, does. Uh, but in general, we're doing really good. We're wiping down everything. Uh, at one point early in the COVID-19 process, I went to, uh, I live streamed going to various businesses with gloves mm-hmm. on in a safe manner and buying gift certificates so that I could model one way to help local businesses survive um, this, you know, the economic impact of the pandemic. And uh, that felt like a really effective thing to do. Uh, and it was an outreach. You know, most of, many of the stores in our city are owned by neighbors. Go figure. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was, a, that was a helpful thing to do at one stage. And now we're at a different stage in the pandemic, and there's other needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as you're out there, and like you said, many of your, the people who own, that's one of the neat things about Ipsilani. You have a lot of people who, who own the businesses live right there. You know, yep. I saw I saw your video where you were buying gift certificates. I've tried that. I've known other people who have, because particularly people who are in that those service industries or things, people who rely on people yep. coming in there. It's like, how do we help? What are you guys doing for? I mean, so many members of your community who you know, you know, you want them to be able to, to open on the other end of it or to survive just do this now that you're not you know you're not out and about you know what are you doing well let's talk about some of the gaps in our systems that opened up immediately when we started Mm -hmm. shutting things down so when we shut down libraries Mm -hmm. and we shut down bus depots and we closed restaurants um, homeless people people indigent homeless people uh, lost any access to bathrooms okay Basic sanitation, and that's a huge humanitarian issue, and it's potentially a significant public health issue. And so I, uh, I actually came up with an idea. This is one moment where I felt fairly effective in a time when I don't feel very effective. Uh, but I contacted the county and pitched them an idea of putting around in strategic locations porta johns with sanitation space in there some have sinks some have you know just you know sanitizer in them that kind of thing but at Mm -hmm. least homeless people have access to bathrooms right and Mm -hmm. uh uh and so actually the county moved forward with it i was very proud of it uh, of the county i was very proud that my idea actually had some sense in it and i hope that that's helping yeah uh secondly um so that's Homeless people, that's not even solving half the problems associated with homeless people right now because of, Uh you know, the shelters are not necessarily a safe haven for them either because it's close quarters and there's no possibility of social distancing there, right, or limited possibilities. So another gap in the system is uh, children who uh, get their meals from schools, which in our city is the majority of the children here. Mm-hmm. And that's two meals a day that children are not going to get a hot meal without coming to school. We can't, we couldn't feed them in the school. And so I worked with the school district uh, and the superintendent to 
help uh, generate volunteers to switch over to a delivery and a pickup system, right? And so that was very helpful. And now that, I just checked in on that process, following it going successfully for a couple of weeks, and now it needs some more tweaking, which is totally understandable. And so I'm reaching out to her and asking specific questions about how I can help with that. Uh, another group that is definitely falling through the cracks are our seniors. Seniors are the most at risk for harm, serious harm and possible death from COVID-19. And there's no clearing, central clearinghouse for seniors like there is for children, children's clearinghouses the schools, right? But the seniors, there's no one place where all seniors go to. So I, uh, um, uh, I, I, I actually, you know, reached out to Meals on Wheels and I'm going to personally start volunteering with them tomorrow and, uh, and delivering meals as the mayor. I think that's modeling for the city still being active and contributing and doing it in a safe manner that protects me and protects seniors. And then, but also I just picked up the phone and I started calling seniors in my community who, you know, just to say hi and check in and see if they had somebody checking in on them on a, on a regular basis. And I've also encouraged people in the community to do something similar. And I'm proud to say that everybody that I've reached out to had somebody talking to them already, had somebody running their errands and making sure that they were safe. But that's a, a population that's, more likely to be alone and uh, uh, without, and most likely to be afraid to go out, most likely to feel isolated. And so uh, I felt like that was an important thing too. And still figuring out what we can do about that because more and more and more needs to be done there, I think. You know, so the, thing that, that, the thing that, that is tragic about this, these things are things that, have been going on, like how many people didn't recognize or, you know, even though they knew, but they didn't really acknowledge that some kids were getting two meals a day there or how many people do you know who see homeless people and don't think about that simple thing of having a place where you could, they can regularly go and wash their hands or tell everybody to wash their hands. Yeah. And the fact that many seniors are already self-isolating, and that we need right. to be reaching out to them to check on them. And it's sort of sad, I guess it's a yin-yang thing. It's sad that this really pointed the spotlight on it, but then it's also good that people are stepping up and doing it. Yeah. And, you know, particularly yeah. with, with the seniors, I was telling someone I was in a store, or actually it was a mm -hmm. Kroger's, and there was mm -hmm. an older lady who was looking at, and this was like the early days, and she was looking at these shelves, and she was like, there's nothing here, there's nothing here, what am Aww. I going to do? And she was like, she had gotten somebody, I forget how she had gotten up there, but she was just like panicking because when yeah. she was looking at these empty shelves, and myself and another person just sort of like sort of talked, you don't know, there's going to be things, you know, and it wasn't in my neighborhood, yeah. but the lady who was there said, you know, like, well, you know, I live right around here, and she gave her her number. But, you know, they, we don't under realize, you know, so many things that for the elderly are frightening. Well, let's, let's, and this is just let's like talk really about that phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that phenomenon for a second of the people that have the ability to go home, to, to go to a store and buy much more than they're going to need for the next 30 days. And the advice from our, all of our community leaders is stock up for 30 days. That seems sensible to me, right? 
And mm-hmm. uh, so 30 days worth of toilet paper is not 400 rolls, okay, <laughs> right? And yes, it is. You need to see it that you know. Yeah. Right. Thank you. I feel sorry for you if that's the case. Mm-hmm. But the other, the, and, and, and obviously I'm using an exaggerated example, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of people out there who cannot stock up for, 40, for 30 days, can, do mm-hmm. not have the economic capacity to hoard. They need to go to the store every few days or every week when they get some kind of small check. Right, and uh, and and when they have that money, that is a narrow window to them. And if they go to the store and it's empty, what are they going to do? Right, mm-hmm. and so hoarding, which is a, a, an entirely predictable phenomenon, right, has has so many un uh, un you know uh, collateral damage, so much collateral damage. That's the mm-hmm. phrase I want to use there, right? That we don't think about. Yeah, my household may have enough toilet paper. But, you know, who cares about, you know, uh, the woman on, you know, support, you know, child mm-hmm. support, mm-hmm. you know, uh, gets a weekly check that is barely able to get her through the week, right? That kind of thing. So that's another gap in the system. And, you know, and, and people, and, you know, not only that, like people who are making minimum wage or a little bit over who now are unemployed or yeah, it's been right, shut down, right. you know, what do you do? You know, what do you do? Now, you also were part of an industry that really relied on people coming in and, and buying a car. Oh, yeah, um, we're shut down. Yeah, yeah, we're shut down. I mean, you know, but how, mm-hmm. you know, but you know that, you know, people still have transportation needs and everything. You're shut down, you know. I know that you'll, you'll, you know, you're doing things, you're able to, but what about, about people, I mean, any of your coworkers, how are they so, willing to, right. did, did you guys, you know, like, connect, make a web to support each other? It's so, it's so interesting, right? Like, different dealerships have dealt with this different ways, and I'm so thankful that I work for a family-owned, woman-owned dealership mm-hmm. that is choosing to pay us roughly you know, a, a compensation every week, the sales staff mm-hmm. and managers, okay, mm-hmm. out of the dealership's pocket rather than put us on unemployment, okay? Mm-hmm. So we could have the choice of going on unemployment, but uh, if it's better for some people than for others, I don't know, right? And mm-hmm. while we're off, the sales floor cannot deliver any cars. That means we can't actually give somebody the keys and do the transaction, but we're selling cars to people in advance and locking them up to pe- for people, right? Still doing transactions, still doing our outreach, that kind of thing. That's our dealership's response. Mm-hmm. Other dealerships have just laid off everybody and closed the doors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 so those are that's kind of the gamut of what's going on, right? Um, mm-hmm. So in Michigan, it's not just you know this is state by state by state. Not every state is on a uh, uh, you know, a shelter-in-place kind of a, a place that we're at with the governor's orders. So in our case, that's what we have to do. In other states, they're still selling cars. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So um, now that means that, you know, sales in all industries is some kind of commission-based income, right? And so if you're not selling, you're not making income. And so I can tell you that salespeople right now are crawling out of their skin, okay? Mm. I'm crawling out of my skin because as thankful as I am 
to the management for continuing to pay us uh, um, uh, the equivalent of a minimal, minimal kind of an income that will be enough. Um, I would rather be at work interacting mm-hmm. with people and earning my own income as I have done through my whole life, right? And that is what every salesperson right now is doing all across the board in every industry because we're just used to doing that. Sales is a really direct relationship between what you put out and what you take in. It really is. What you put out is what you earn. And uh, it doesn't feel good not having it that way. So uh, transportation is an essential service. Selling, Selling vehicles is not. So service departments and parts departments are still open. And uh, so that's something to know because if a car breaks down, we need to be able to, you need to be able to repair it because transportation is essential. Now, for people who have total vehicles or lost vehicles or, you know, other, other um, you know, things that can happen to vehicles, um, they have to wait to get a new car for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, the governor has said that this current order lasts through the 14th, up to the 14th. Now, uh, I don't know. I I fully expect it will be extended mm-hmm. beyond that. So that's you know some kind of hunkering down. I myself am still going in for a few hours every week and doing some work with my clients, even if it's not sales. I use relationship-based sales with my clients, and so I want to make sure that I'm reaching out to them and that they know I'm here for them. You know, now that's the other thing. You you develop relationships. With your mm-hmm. with your clients, I mean, you've done generations, and you know how sometimes what getting that car can mean to that family. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. some of these the people who you've worked with, are you wondering like after this is over, where will they be? What what their what will their needs be? Will yeah. they you know that that plan that they have had to get that car maybe to so that they need the second car so mom could go to work and dad could go to work or for the kid to go to school, that this will mm-hmm. be off the table. Are you, you know, I think that, I that must impact you like as an, as personally because you have these relationships. But then, you know, as you look at your community, you know, mm-hmm. everybody isn't going to, the doors aren't going to open and everybody's not going to be able to buy car a car because it has been off so long. Right, because how many people have lost their income for, you know, two, four, six, eight weeks, whatever, however long it's going to be for each individual. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, I see both pent-up demand. I think Mm -hmm. the demand when we open the doors again is going to be significant because the same number of cars are still going to be needed. uh, The other thing that I'm aware of because of the work that I do with, you know, with people making uh, credits involving credit is I know that many banks are offering forgiveness for a number of months, right? The uh, banks are offering forgiveness on mortgages for a number of months uh, or a number of payments. Uh, Banks are offering forgiveness on car loans in some, some banks are. Uh, some banks are offering loans now that won't start for 90 days so that people can get a running start again, right, um, mm-hmm. on this kind of thing. Our, our dealership is offering, in addition to the manufacturer's offers, to make one payment for the client. Okay, there's all kinds of things that are coming up here because we know that it's the economy is like a, a train, right? And a train doesn't start 
stop suddenly and it doesn't start suddenly. It has to take some time to get back up to full speed. And um, I'm really concerned about how long it's going to take our economy to get back up to speed again because there's going to be ripple effects from all of this uh, possible recession. I don't know how we're going to be able to avoid that, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And that's going to have long-term impacts on people's credit. feel like we just barely recovered from the last one. Michigan definitely is way behind the country in recovering from the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to take our first break here. And then we'll talk about another aspect of Ypsilanti. It's a college town. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with Beth Bashir. Beth, you know, amongst your other many things, um, in Ypsilanti, it's a college town. And mm-hmm. we know, like, um, uh, I know I have a, a friend whose daughter goes there and she came home. Okay. But what about all these college students, you know, who maybe can't get home, who are there, and also, I mean, you know, they show these pictures like where it's like college students are just like, hey, you know, we're hanging out. What are you seeing yeah. as far as college students and what are you able to do for them? Many who rely on on it for shelter, for food, not just classes. Yeah. Well, the Eastern Michigan University is the college in our town and it has a significant footprint here. The university does have a food pantry. It's called Swoop's Food Pantry. And I've checked in with them, and they are still operational and um, using social distancing methods to uh, keep people safe while they do their food pickup there. Uh, that said, we do have a large student population who lives in town. And uh, the dorms are closed, but there's many apartment dwellings. Uh, students and and young people in our city. And predictably, uh, young people are going to be a little more defiant and resistant to, you know, social distancing uh, because that's part of being young. I know I probably would have been dismissive of it for a while when I was young as well. It's just what young adults do. And, Mm -hmm. um, And so just continuing to communicate with the city, the safety of it. The problem with social distancing is that for the people who are not engaging in social distancing, they are putting other people at harm that they can't see, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, remember back in the, oh, Michelle, you were there during the age of AIDS, right? I was too. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. used to say, right, you're not just sleeping with your, that, that person, you're sleeping with every person they've ever slept with, right, as far mm-hmm. as the AIDS virus goes. And it's the same thing with, 
COVID, it's the exact same thing. You're not putting that person at risk or yourself. You're putting two and three degrees of separation of people at risk. You know, what about the next people that they talk to and the next and the next, right? I have a friend of mine who went to a dinner and uh, there were 14 people at the dinner. Eight of them got COVID Mm. that they know of, right? Eight Mm -hmm. of them were down. And they think it was a server, probably didn't even know he had symptoms, probably didn't even know he was carrying it, right? Mm-hmm. It was before the social distancing rule was put in. And, um, and so, you know, and then he had his, you know, uh, his, uh, his girlfriend visiting him, right? And mm-hmm. her son visiting him before he got diagnosed. So then mm-hmm. they were at risk. Right. So you just see what I'm saying. So that's the ripple effects are just significant about this. And so, um, you know, the other thing. So um, that's one impact of the students living in the city. The second impact of the students living in the city is that they are most likely to have hourly wage jobs that are, are now not exactly going on, right. Mm-hmm. right. They're most likely going to be working in restaurants or, you know, things like that. And, and what are they going to do? You know, what, what can they do to replace that money? And, um, and so unemployment uh, works for some people in some cases. It doesn't always, it's not, it's not available to everybody, right? I have a friend of mine who's a former felon. Uh, I've hired him during my campaigns, and uh, he, I consider him a friend. And he can't get a real job uh, because of his felony conviction, and he also has a hard time finding residence. He currently has a residence. His last job was driving a cab. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not able to collect unemployment because the cab company 1099 his salary, his income. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means he's out without any kind of income. There's another hole in the system. You know. And you, uh, and you know the other yeah, thing with the server. Many people in those positions don't have sick time. And because you don't have yeah. that, even if you're feeling a little funny, you continue mm-hmm. to go to work because you need mm-hmm. that check. And where to say, or just, you know what, stay home, self-isolate for 14 days or whatever. Some people cannot do that because they don't. We've talked again and again about, you know, sick time and, you know, paid sick leave and things like that. Yep. And this shows, again, that's a big problem we have in our society. It is. Uh, and, you know, like I think things like health care, sick leave, uh, paid, uh, you, know, family, you know, family time off for family emergencies, mm-hmm. that should just be standard, right? This is mm-hmm. just a human rights issue, okay? We need to be able to live our, our lives while we're employed. And I believe that we should be able to, with our country and the wealth that we have in this country, we should be able to uh, have that available to everybody, you know, without exception. And other, other countries that are not nearly as wealthy as us do this all the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I think that's a crime, and we're seeing the gaps in that, mm-hmm. uh, the, the problems that that causes, rather. And so mm-hmm. I agree with you 100%, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I don't have sick time necessarily, uh, but I do have enough vacation time because I've been there a long time. Again, it's a privilege that I've, you know, that I happen to have, but I'm so conscious of the people that don't have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, how 
you know, there's been a lot of misinformation. Like, I know that initially it was like if you were over 60, you know, you were, you know, it was pushed like it was like older people were getting it. And I think that it also made young people go like, oh, hey, I'm not going to get it. You know, it's for, and then there's been a lot of misinformation. How, mm-hmm. how much of your job, of your communicating with your neighbors, your constituents, has been combating the misinformation that's out there? <sighs> misinformation is not the biggest problem that I've seen. Uh, I've mm-hmm. seen more fear reactions that I feel like are the, the hardest part to, to manage. People are very, very afraid. They may, not, may or may not be in touch with the fact that they're afraid, right? But all of our responses are very charged right now, um, or many of our responses are rather. And so in that kind of situation, you know, when somebody who is doing a very, very strong version of social distancing sees a group of people who's not doing it, we call, they call and, get a, and we get a complaint, Right. Mm. Um, uh, And uh, or, you know, acting, asking about, you know, uh, you know, the the park play equipment. You know, why is that? You know, what are we going to do about people playing on the park play equipment? Well, that was something we were able to do. Right. But the questions come in very, very charged and even questions about things that are very, fairly benign, like a pothole complaint that uh, I received. Right. Was. Uh, the the complaint about the pothole that caused a flat tire uh, w- was eventually in the in the the complaint about it linked to COVID, because of course every interaction now we have involves risk. That woman now mm-hmm. has to put herself at risk to get her flat tire repaired, right? And uh, so this is those you know just responding in a calm, peaceful manner empathizing, expressing empathizing and empathy and concern to people is very, very important. One of the most important things that I'm doing right now, neighbor complaint, neighbor disputes very, you know, are, you know, go from minor to major pretty quickly under Mm. this kind of stress. Neighbor disputes are something that actually there's no real role for the city, but I hear about them a lot, right? The police can't get Mm -hmm. involved in them, the city can't, but, you know, we get, we hear about them a lot because they, people think we can. Um, And so, you know, the the way that I've been describing this to people is, you know, if I'm questioning how I'm going to grab that doorknob when I'm walking, you know, somewhere, what else, I mean, think about all the other big things that we're questioning right Mm -hmm. now. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, everything that we do now, we're just second guessing and third guessing and fourth guessing, just trying to figure out, is this safe, is it not, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that, the stress is popping out in that way. And one of the things that I'm doing is I have a, a newsletter that I put out as mayor. I put it out in an electronic format. It's distributed through a city news, news flash system that we use. It also gets distributed on social media. And so I, um, uh, what do I want to say? I... Uh, uh, have put that out bi-weekly because it's actually a huge project. It takes a significant amount of time, and I only have so much time in mm-hmm. general. Well, now it seems like I have a little more time, don't I? <laughs> and, <laughs> and the needs of the community are a little more acute, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so and a little more intense. And so now I'm able to take the time and put that out and move that up to weekly for the time. For the, for the time being. And I'm using that to send out updates on news, consistent messages, that kind of thing. Um, and just reminding people that this is a crisis. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It will have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Okay? And at the end, we're not going to be rid of COVID, but we're gonna, it's going to have a context now. We're going to have you know, more tools around it, and we'll be able to manage it and our, our society better. It's the compact timeline combined with the illness that's really the the problem here it's the compact timeline and uh and so that's that's one thing that i can do and then also i try and make myself as visible as possible being calm being um you know and being being visible in a time of you know (laughs) social distancing is really a challenge i'm here don't touch me stay away but i'm here Yeah, right. Now, you know, we we had talked about one of the things that that, um, I had talked to someone uh, about a week ago, and they had brought up the fact that we need to be mindful that sometimes school and work have been safe places for people who are living in unsafe conditions, women who are Mm -hmm. in abusive relationships, children who are, when you're hearing these calls or how do you when tell your first responders to to be sensitive to that and you know mm-hmm. you mentioned how like the shelters can't do social distancing that well but what's available for people you know in these situations right i mean that's significant and that's uh I mean, I, I'm, I'm conscious of this because I just recently had an interaction today with somebody who witnessed a domestic abuse situation and, uh, you know, had a number of questions and, uh, about it. And I, I do believe that domestic violence is going to increase during this mm-hmm. time for two reasons. One, because of the stress, and two, because more people are home together longer rather than mm-hmm. being at work together. So there's more opportunity. And child abuse for the same reason. The children are going to be at home when they would normally be at school, right? And, um, and so uh, there is, right now, to my knowledge, Michelle, there is no good answer for that. There's absolutely mm-hmm. none. And um, I, you know, I, it, it's painful to think about. It's painful mm-hmm. to know, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's that's a thing. Uh-huh. How are you looking at? How are you helping your first responders? Not just you know police and fire, but those people who are in healthcare and those people who have to be out there. How are you helping them or reminding them to take care of themselves? That's a great question, Michelle. So you know the fire departments. Are usually also the first responder for responder for health uh, health calls, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Along with ambulances. So one of the things our our uh, responders did is we changed our policy, and we are only sending out uh, the medical first responders EMTs in the case of life threatening. Okay, because if our firefighters who are also EMTs get sick 
and too many of get, them get sick, we will not be able to protect our city from fires. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's, it's really, really important that that initial job get, get handled, right? And so uh, in, in some cases, we're uh, letting the ambulance services take care of the problem. In other cases, we're waiting till 911 clears, the, clears that it is uh, a safe situation to go into for our first responders, right? And then in other cases, they're going in anyway. Uh, currently, I get a report, I'm getting reports from our staff, and currently our police department has two people down under quarantine for suspected mm-hmm. COVID, and mm-hmm. um, that means overtime for others. Um, we've always, uh, city of Ypsilanti is not a wealthy city, so we have a spare police and fire staff, mm-hmm. which means nobody would even, I mean, we have enough fire, firefighters, but we, I would not say that we have enough police staff yet, even before this happened. And so we're going to be overly cautious with them uh, in going out on calls, and we're going to be overly cautious with quarantining them so that the problem doesn't escalate throughout the department. Uh, so those are some things. They're also doing, uh, you know, doing things like wearing gloves, wearing uh, masks in some situations, keeping a distance whenever it's possible with, uh, in, when engaging with the public, so those kinds of things as well. But they are at a high-risk job. That is, there is no doubt about it. Have there been conversations um, amongst the mayors, I mean, in Michigan, in your area, about mm-hmm. a coordinated response? I mean, you know, like you said, you don't have a whole lot. And if they go down mm-hmm. and you still have needs, so is there any type of conversation? Because I'm going to tell you, it seems like to me at the state level and then going down at the municipality level, I mean, that's mm-hmm. where the answers are coming from. So there's there is some mutual aid that goes on and has already has been going on for some time. Uh, Eastern Michigan University Police and our police are a mutual aid. Our police department are a mutual aid. Uh, uh, you know, have a mutual aid relationship, uh, and that's a help. Um, the same thing is true for our fire department. They, they we have mutual aid agreements with all the surrounding municipalities and townships. And so that's very helpful. The sheriff will definitely uh, be a backup should we need it, you know, uh, depending on what the situation is because there's, you know, boundary issues and things like that. But uh, I believe in the time of a crisis that we're doing everything we can to make sure that that helps. But if it's true for our fire department, for instance, just that example, it's true for other fire departments. And so if all of us are short-staffed and then all of us are backing each other up in mutual aid and we have to go out in more and more and more calls, that just, you know, that just, it's a slippery slope problem that could become severe at some point. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's just, yeah, you see, so we all have limited resources. Mm-hmm. Pooling our limited resources where we're going to have some depletion just means that eventually that pool is going to be depleted too and get more use in a, in a way that may or may, you know, was not originally intended for. But, and a lot of things are being used in ways they weren't originally intended for. But uh, the best thing that we can do is to keep our, our first responders as, he- as healthy as possible. In addition, we've, uh, our Department of Public Services is also continuing full services. Now, they have less engagement with the public directly. So, uh, you know, it's things like 
uh, garbage pickup, recycling pickup, uh, street cleaning, pothole filling, all that is still going on, park maintenance, that's still going on. Um, uh, and it will go on as long as our staff remains healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they have less direct contact with the public, so their risk is more like outside of you know the, their work um, or somebody who brings a contagion into the apartment somehow. But you know, uh, but right now that's uh, that's stable there. And then many of our city staff are still working from home, so things like payroll and you know uh, you know all the treasure functions of the treasurer uh, are still going on. We've suspended ticketing and we've suspended ticket payments, and we've suspended fines and, and certain things. We've made provisions for uh, people who want to do home projects while they're at home and they can't get a permit, you know. Um, uh, so there's things like that, you know, we, we've put in processes, things like that, so that people can still do what they want to do um, and know that the city will be kicking back in at some point to check back on them. So, you know, you're, you're a new mayor. You're not new to city government, but you're a new mayor. But you had the background as an organizer. You know, you were on the city council. You know your city. You know your community. You know your neighbors. You've done a lot. And I'm sure that nothing prepared you for this. But what did you find? What do you find that you you dig into that is helping you think, be empathetic for your constituency, for your neighbors, uh, be resourceful, mm. all those things that I know you I know you have in that hat. But what are what are you drawing upon in this time that you know there's no way in in heaven that you knew that this was going to drop on you as the mayor? I'm telling you, you could. <laughs> <laughs> To have, you know, I declared a state of emergency, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, with you know the idea that you know, and I did it reasonably early. Okay, uh, the numbers were already starting to rise in Michigan. No other municipality in our area had declared a state of emergency. Uh, mm-hmm. It was presented to me as an option uh, that would increase, you know some of the powers of the mayor and the staff to be able to do things, you know, uh, on the fly should we have to. And I thought it was a smart thing to do. And after I did it, nobody else did it for a while. (laughs) For like 10 days, I was like, was I foolish to do this? Was it, was it a mistake? I mean, was it an overreaction and, or was it, you know, just taking too much action? And I'm prone personally to do too much action rather than not enough. So it wouldn't have surprised me. But since Uh then, Several others have kicked in. Ann Arbor has kicked in. The county has kicked in. A couple of the townships have done it as well, and um, uh, and uh, and so I feel a little bit less alone out there. But uh, so now I get to say I was a leader, not a. <laughs> not <laughs> <an overreaction. laughs> but um, uh, it's kind of like uh, there. You know, we're definitely everybody's in new territory, and. So anything I'm doing and anything I'm not doing, I'm doing as much check, checking back with normal circumstances, with extreme circumstances, with um, models that I look to, you know, 
for, you know, an example of how somebody might be in this situation. So I look to those and then I make my best guess and uh, at what is the appropriate thing to do. So that's what, um, that's what I'm doing. And um, I imagine that in the end, it will be a mixed bag of right and wrong actions, right, that uh, will be part of the learning curve of maybe myself, maybe other mayors in the future. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, I know that, you know, your sounding board, your partner in crime, your wife, Lisa, is mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. What did, when, you, when you were going through that moment, like, did I jump the gun? What am I doing? What did Lisa say? Oh, she thought it was a good, that was a good move. She thought that was a good move. But I have to tell you, she is terrified for me every time I'm out there in the world. And she has been sheltering in place for three weeks now. She was already retired, so it was easy for her to do. But it's, uh, she is a model that I can, I'm not able to keep up with her on, quite frankly. You know, I, Uh so here's an example, right? My neighbor across the street put out some cans for just somebody to pick up for, you know, to cash in if they wanted, right? And I came home and saw cans. It was a very windy day, and the cans were blowing up the street. So I ran up the street knowing I'd have to wash my hands and sanitize myself afterwards. I picked up all the cans and the, and the, and the bottles, right? And then I didn't want them to be left on the street, but I didn't want them, hurt, you know, because they would continue to blow again. But I, so I knocked on her door, and then, uh, and, and I, and we, you know, she came out and she started carrying them up and she said, oh, I'll get them. And, I, and instinctively, I said, no, no, I'll help. Okay. And that was not social distancing. I shouldn't have helped. I should have stopped right then, walked away, let uh-huh. her take care of the rest of it. And, uh-huh. you know, I saw a friend walking down the street in an energetic manner at a place where there's no place for her to be. So I pulled over and I offered her a ride. And then I said, no, I can't do that. I can't offer you a ride. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> every instinct that I have, because I'm an extrovert and I'm uh, embracing of trying to give people help whenever I can, is just wrong. Every, you know, everything is wrong. And so I'm having this serious wrestling match with myself every single time. And by the way, I'm an extrovert. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, uh, without engaging with people, and really, it, you know, it's best in person, um, without engaging with people on a regular basis, I'm going to emotionally struggle. I just am. And uh, so I'm going to have to figure out ways to uh, work around that. Uh, and Lisa's an introvert, and this is even too much solitude for her, <laughs> I have to say. Okay. Uh-huh. And, yeah. uh, you know, I have found, like, you know, because I'm by, I live by myself, I'm here, and I have found that some days I, I just I go out, I'm social distancing, I'm walking by myself, but I have found I am that person. Good morning. How are you? You know, yeah. yep. you know it's just that, that need to to interact yeah. with people. You know, huge, but, um, right? Yeah, we walk I our dogs to the neighborhood. Same thing, right? I, uh-huh. they're, they're half a block away, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, and, and just calling out and uh, waving to neighbors when I see them in the house, and sitting. I'm sitting on my front porch even in this cold weather just so I can see people. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, because we have a front porch kind of community. People sit on, you know, join people on each other's front porches and hang out and um, things like that. And so, you know, I, I, I agree. I think that, you know, even introverts, and I think it's, it's 
fun to call ourselves introverts and extroverts, but people as a human, you know, can, human conditions are essentially social. And uh, so there's a lot of online things. Here's something that Lisa did yesterday: is uh, she took a, she participated in a bread baking class for sourdough bread baking, and it was a six-hour-long class. They checked in, in in and out with each other. Mm-hmm. They went from the rising all the way through, and uh, she was on the ceiling with joy at the end of it. Not just because her bread rocked, but because. Mm-hmm. You know, she had had all these interactions and they were still talking about their bread and showing each other the bread and, you know, all that. Just, and she felt closer to all those people. And so with people who have access to technology, and this is another place where seniors are most likely to be left out of it, right? People in poverty are somewhat left out of it, but many people in poverty still have smartphones, right? P- people uh-huh. who are seniors have been left behind by the technology train a long time ago. And I'm telling you right now, I can see that train coming my way. Okay, uh, where I'm going to have to step off of it at some point. But mm-hmm. um, uh, social technology is going to be able to do a lot to help people, but it's definitely not the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, uh, it's going to be interesting, you know, when we all start to get together uh, again. You know, and, and uh, uh, you know, within the queer community, right, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ypsilanti has a huge pride, uh, pride event every year. It's really turning into quite a large event. And they've, they do fundraisers all year long for it. And all those fundraisers now have been stopped, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of queer culture is really, you know, in groups, right? Our culture is really in groups. And that's another area that, you know, we're, you know, some of that can go virtual. There's a boylesque uh burlesque uh, event that's just gone virtual, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be live streamed instead. It's not going to be the same, right? But it'll be better than nothing. And, uh, and, and so I think that we have to, you know, both mourn our losses but accept what's possible both at the same time with this. Uh, I think that's where the healthiest middle ground is going to be for all of us. Well, you know, I did a Zoom conference call, and note to self, comb your hair. But, you know, so, but we're doing this Zoom conference call, and it, it was part of a queer community from people from all over. And, you know, we were talking about other things, and then we got into pride, and you started to hear people say, well, you know, we're canceling this, we're going to postpone this, we don't know, like you were saying. Yeah, uh, right. about, you know, well, we were going to do this, but we're not. And you could hear, you know, it was just like the silence that someone said, what about so-and-so? Well, we're not. And it was in different cities across the country yeah. where you were hearing people saying, we aren't going to do it and how important it was. But then you also, like you said, you heard about people who were trying to do things to to lift people up because also many in our community are isolated, you know, particularly yeah. like right. Yeah, you know, where as if you don't have a a large presence, I know like even we have like there's a community there, there's community, but I know where I am. Yeah. There isn't in Southfield. There isn't a a a place where there's a lot of gay people around you. You know, so again, you're you're isolated, and if you're by yourself, yep. that sense of community. I had a a person who was in sales who called mm-hmm. me just to let me know that you know, you know, he was still there for the service, but. I know that he's gay, and he went through, like, you know, how 
he was missing mm-hmm. not being able going to go like I want to say suits like us or, or whatever. And another oh sure tribe, yeah. the, hey you know he said I was going to these things and that's where I met people. He said now I can't go to them. And yeah. we had a much longer conversation just because you know we he had connected one time when he had come to to do this that that I was gay and that here I was someone he could talk about. And so I yep. mean. In, in a, a way, it's like involuntarily pushing some people back in the closet just because you have to be by yourself. Right, right. I, it's 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 dramatic, right? It really is. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I agree. And uh, you know, our community. Well, yeah. I mean, our whole history was built on finding creative ways of getting together, right? Mm-hmm. In secrets and in you know mm-hmm. uh, you know places where you could only go in the back door. That was you know. Uh, but you could get together. You could be in a group. Mm-hmm. You could be free in, in that space, and that's gone. Here's another one, by the way. Passover's coming. Okay? Passover mm-hmm. celebrates the Jews' freedom from Egypt through the use of plagues. And mm-hmm. we cannot hold Passovers outside mm-hmm. of our own immediate circles right now. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. ironic is that? Okay, mm-hmm. so um, I'm going to be, we're going to be part of a Zoom Passover where we're mm-hmm. each going to read from our own Haggadahs, we're each going to take parts of it, and we're each going to cook our own meals. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the weirdest, wildest thing. And it's so ironic, both in a humorous and kind of a dark way. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in, you know, it's been how many thousands, 3,000 years, right, 2,500 years, and it took a plague to stop Passover. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, I mean, you know, that, is, that is ironic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, there's, there's something there. Anyway, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, we are in very unusual times, Michelle, highly unusual times. Yes, we are. Well, we're going to take our second break, and then I'm going to talk about family. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. We're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Now, you said that, you know, your daughter and that they're like a block away. My son is in New York. Um, You know, FaceTime is lovely. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. you know, how does that distance feel? And how are you guys communicating, although you have a short distance, but you're Mm -hmm. apart? Um, It's it's all phone and... and, uh, Face, FaceTiming and that kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and there's 
that it, we're going to be trying something pretty soon. Uh, our son-in-law found an app that's, that's apparently a virtual tabletop, and you can put any game you want on top of it and play with your friends, oh. right? Uh-huh. And so we might be, it's called, um, but uh, at any rate, we're going to be trying that, and we play some games together when we get together sometimes. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, adding a little bit of distraction and, uh, you know, just hanging out, being virtually social will be a little more fun than just having these t- times. Lisa, who's been at home longer than I have, and our daughter, who's a teacher, who's been home longer than I have, mm-hmm. has they've been having tea every afternoon, uh, FaceTiming, right? Oh, that's so cute. Now, uh-huh. I know. It's really fun, right? They, mm-hmm. both, make a, they mm-hmm. both make a pot of tea, and they sit and they chat, and they, you know, and... Uh, uh, and and that's been lovely for them. Our grandson is five, and apparently, I did not know this, on Facebook there's a child um, texting uh, program mm-hmm. that has a lot of limitations to protect children from potential harm, but he's been uh, uh, sending us hilarious texts, I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> And it also, the app includes the ability to put on costumes on your image, right, and mm-hmm. and do mm-hmm. some fun and silly things back and forth. And so we're absolutely, he's just slaying us. It's just killing us. And uh, uh, and so, and he's also FaceTiming us, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so that's been a lot of fun. And then we have a brand-new granddaughter who's three months old right now, oh, just about, just turning uh-huh. four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've barely seen her. Okay, oh. I barely seen her, and, and it's breaking my heart. And uh, uh, and she's becoming a, a person now. You know, she's mm-hmm. a lot of things are happening that there it is. You know, we're missing. And yeah, that first year, I mean, they changed so fast. You know, oh, holy oh. cow! Right? It's mm-hmm. it's just amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a so it's how, a thing. So that that's been difficult. How is homeschooling going for your daughter? Uh, Idris, so Idris, our grandson, is in kindergarten. And, uh-huh. Is that a great name? Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, he, um, uh, so she's been, so he's both much smarter and, and socially not acute, right, for that age. He's not, he's not socially uh-huh. strong there, but he's much smarter than, so she, for instance, she showed him, fractions for she she showed him four fractions and he picked up the theory immediately and he ran with it and he started using fractions and now he's doing division wow division in at the kindergarten age and so this was an indicator to her that she um uh that he really didn't you know he really didn't need to be in kindergarten but um that was kind of a, uh, I'm secretly wildly proud of him because he also is bilingual <laughs> and it's Japanese mm-hmm. and English. So anyway, what she did with Idris was she made him a schedule with movable blocks. So every day, and he loves the schedule, and there's uh, three or four times in it that he can move around at his will. Okay? And then there are other parts that are fixed. And he loves knowing what's happening next. It's been really stabilizing for him um, and uh, helping him a lot. And, uh, and then for a while, I was still pe- taking him to the park where we would play in the park. 
together I'm no longer doing that. But Mm -hmm. uh, while we were playing at the park, he was explaining to me all that he had learned about uh, uh, COVID-19. He Uh says, and he calls me Bubby, which is Yiddish for grandmother. He says, Mm -hmm. um, Bubby, I I said coronavirus, and he said, Bubby, you shouldn't call it that. It's Mm -hmm. (laughs) COVID-19. Then he starts telling me about T cells and B cells and micro something or others that are doing things and uh, so you know it's it's fun and amazing and uh, mm-hmm. so anyway that's it's it's just hard you know and then mm-hmm. uh, I have an aging mother that I'm checking in with daily by phone um, and she's disabled as well so she has a worker that comes in and it took her until this week before she stopped going to the store herself with the coworker mm. with the, the with mm-hmm. the worker and my sister who's also disabled um I'm checking in with her every day, and both of them live in Kalamazoo. And uh, I am, you know, uh, uh, giving my sister advice because she has a hard time understanding what's fake news and what's real news, right? Mm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm helping her sort through some of that and keep that straight in her mind and, uh, and help her with systems. And so far, they're all healthy, right? And... My mother, for the most part, is somewhat isolated, so that's helpful mm-hmm. uh, to keeping her healthy other than her worker. You know, I know that you do your, your newsletter. As you think about things, like your mother who is, is isolated and has a worker, and the things that, you, that you're telling them to do to stay safe, and, but also to make sure that they're okay, and your sister, mm-hmm. there are those things that, that does it make you think about your community, and do you sometimes share that in your newsletter? I do. I mean, I I do share, you know, that uh, I grew up with a blind mother, right? Uh And Uh that that, and 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 that my sister is is mentally ill, right? Uh And uh, and and I share that so that people understand that when I speak about people with disabilities uh, or people uh, and people with mental illness, um, that. Uh, I come from an, an experiential place, not a learned place, by the way. Okay, uh-huh. it's it's in my skin rather than in my brain, <laughs> is is uh-huh. the way that that I would describe it, right? And so, you know, I I explain when we talk about snow plowing sidewalks, right? You know, clearing sidewalks, and I personally have no patience for people who don't clear their sidewalks, right? Uh-huh. And uh, and I explain that I grew up with a woman, you know, with a mother with a severe disability. And, um, and an uncleared sidewalk is in- incredibly hazardous and difficult for most people with disabilities, right? Not to mention the elderly, okay? And, uh, and it's just a hazard. And I don't care, you know, what your reason is, clear your damn sidewalk, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's one place where it pops up. And then um, and, you know, right now, again, my, the way that I'm able to think through some of those gaps in the system is because I grew up in those gaps in the system, right? In the 70s and in the 60s and 70s, this, there wasn't much of a system, and my mother refused to engage in it. So when my parents divorced and, and my blind mother was our only parent at home, um, you know, we had to figure out everything. 
on on our own, right? And uh, uh, and nobody checked in on us. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, uh, and you know uh, there was no system checking in on us. And and uh, uh, the, you know my dad sent his check. The front of the court was basically a startup operation at that time. It wasn't the full on system that it is now. And uh, so you know I so I I. I instinctively look for those gaps because that's where I grew up and that's why I'm able to think in that manner. Mm-hmm. You know, and also, I mean, and you have to, as mayor and as somebody who knows many of your neighbors, there's part of you that sort of, when you go to that part that you can't go to now, but you know that there's other kids who are sitting at home who need someone to be engaged with, and maybe they can't go out and play like, well, you know, go outside and just play at the park. And that must have, mm-hmm. you know, when you're out driving around and you go by and you see these things that, that used to be so full mm-hmm. of life, mm-hmm. the park that is nobody. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I that know. was way heavy on your heart. It is. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, uh, I, 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 I'm really running out of words for it, really, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, it's also the weather's not great, right? It's mm-hmm. too cold, too blustery to be comfortable out there right now. It's not fun. If it was nice out, if the sun were out, people would be outside using the parks but not the play equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, dog walking is up like crazy. I saw a meme recently where it was a dog laying on the floor saying, uh, you've walked me 14 times today. I'm done. I can't walk anymore. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, so, um, uh, but, you know, I love seeing community together. It's really what drives me, right? And so mm-hmm. all these canceled events and all my, my empty calendar, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm not going to anything and saying hi to folks and greeting them and, and just – seeing how people are doing. All those, you know, all those events are not happening. Churches now limited to 50 people in the church and, you know, at a, at a service. I've canceled going to churches to, to say hi to people because, you know, uh, I, I can't do it safely. I feel like I, would pe- 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 I could put people at risk, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm, too in, I'm still out there in the world being engaged. And so uh, it's, uh, I cannot wait for us to get together again and to be able to be mm-hmm. free. And I expect, I expect things are going to be a little manic when that happens. People are going to have a lot of energy to burn off. I expect a lot of parties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 And uh, pent up demand. And uh, mm-hmm. so, and yes, you're right, but it's incredibly sad to see, to see the empty streets, the empty sidewalks, the empty mm-hmm. parks, the black lights in you know the 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 turned off lights inside the Mm -hmm. restaurants uh the uh empty parking lots all these things right just are like wow i'm just walking around saying wow a lot Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Mm. but what gives you hope you know even though you know because it's like i can see in this time the glass half full i can see things you know i go hmm but then, you know, what gives you hope? You know, I, for myself personally, 
when I know something is not forever, I feel like I can tolerate it, right? And I know this pandemic will have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It will have its own life cycle. I trust the science on that. Um, And so because I know it will have a beginning, a middle, and an end, I know I can go through it. Um, And my lovely wife Mm. uh, has a delightful personality trait of living in the moment. And she does not see that perspective, right? And, And because she's in the moment, and the moment is now, and this is all that she feels, Right, mm-hmm. and that brings so much emotion and centeredness into our relationship. But it also means that sometimes that moment is overwhelming to her. Right, so I see her struggle with that. Right, and uh, with you know knowing how long this is going to go and the ache that she feels by missing our family and, and wondering how long it's going to go on and and just feeling lonely and um, and so. You know, those are a couple of examples of, you know, how it's affecting our household. Um, I mm-hmm. think, you know, I think younger people are already, have, we're already engaging in technology quite a bit. And so that is, um, you know, uh, they're much, they get much more out of it than our generation does. You know, from now I'm, I'm picking up Zoom and going, oh, okay, I can do this, but it's not the real thing. <laughs> but, okay. no, other, uh, you know, other younger generations have been using it for quite a long time now, and it's much more natural to them and much more engaging. So I think different people are going to have a, a gamut of responses there. That said, we're social animals. We need to be in group with other people at, at, at times. And uh, that need is not being met now. And like I said, I, I think it's going to be an explosion when the city opens up again. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Beth, I'll tell you, another reason why, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you and I feel good talking to you. It's like, like you said, we've seen a bit, you know. We are yeah, women yeah. of that age. I mean, we saw what happened with AIDS. You know, we yep. saw them deny us our rights. To, to get married, and then mm-hmm. we saw we were able to get married, you know. We saw them yeah. trying to keep us from being able to adopt and, and we had people having to jump through hoops just to have their families. We've seen a lot. And, yep. you know, and, and it's part of, like, as hard as this is, it's like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're kind of tough, too. <laughs> we're kind of tough, too, and we'll yeah. get through this, you know. Any regrets? I mean, do you ever go like, why <laughs> this time of all times did I decide I want to be mayor? You know, if you had a crystal ball <laughs> and you knew this was coming, would you have said, you know what, city council is good? Or are you happy that you are in this position to provide to your community, which I think is, is a continuation of, of your service to the community, but are you, any regrets? So I, I have a – it's hard for me to sometimes speak, um, speak positively about myself, but I'm going to right now, and it's going to be out of my comfort zone, so I may do okay. it badly. But I am good in a crisis, okay? Yes, you are. I, I was built for crises, and mm-hmm. uh, when a crisis comes along, 
I put on my hard hat, I put on my shoulder hat, pads, I put my head down, and I start barreling forward, and um, metaphorically. And, uh, and so when this started to happen, and, um, you know, there's, action, there's several actions that our city has taken before any other community. The state of emergency. We put our, our, uh, uh, our port-a-johns out for homeless people before anybody else did okay, before the county even acted. We just jumped on it and, and just did it. And, um, uh, and because when there's a need, you know, in a crisis, you just have to fill the need and you worry about some of the problems later on. And, uh, and, and so that's what I think I was built for somewhat, okay. Now, the good thing about being a mayor is that there's enough checks and balances built into the system to make sure that I don't overreach or somebody doesn't underreach, okay, that we're all communicating to make sure that we are all on, you know, that the right dots are being put on the right eyes and et cetera before we make sure that it's too big a problem or that we're not creating a bigger problem than the one that we're solving. There's all these issues, right, that you have to be careful about. That said, I keep a cool head in a crisis. I don't panic. I just keep moving forward in a calm manner, and that helps the people around me, I believe, continue to be calm. And, uh, and I want to, and I'm modeling that for our city. And I have to say, the city is under a lot of stress, and, it's, and there's no doubt about it, and I am only so effective because, um, you know, that's just how the world is. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like Ypsilanti is absolutely making it through here in Ypsilanti style. We're contributing to each other. We're supporting each other. We're reaching out. People are doing volunteer work all over the place like you wouldn't believe. Um, I know of more people making masks for Uh hospitals than I could begin to tell you about, okay? In a quantity, okay? Um, And, (laughs) you know, uh, for instance, right, and uh, uh, when I put out a call for supplies for the school children who are now at home, okay, uh, the response was overwhelming. When I put out a call for volunteers to distribute meals for the for for uh, the kids, they actually had too many people come by. Oh wow! Okay, uh-huh. okay. So so this is the nature of Ypsilanti, and um, and so it it's a privilege to be a leader in a community that has that kind of do it, get the job done, show up, and do the work kind of mentality. But that's what Ypsilanti is, and it's one of the things I love about the city the most, and it's really helping us during this time. Okay. Well, Beth, my only regret is I'm not up in Ypsilanti with you, but... but um, you know what, Michelle, that's my only regret, too. Yeah, <laughs> Why are really, you living you in Ypsilanti? I know, I know, but you know, this too will pass, and I'm gonna be there, girl. <laughs> no, I'm on my way. So, but, uh, but Beth, I want to thank you for taking the time, you know, to to talk honestly during this time. This oh. is what we need, and I'm so happy to talk to you always. And my love to Lisa. Michelle. You know, I will pass it along, but Michelle, I want to take a moment and take my hat off to you because you do such wonderful work in the community and you are a thoughtful and provocative interviewer and um, your leadership and, and uh, voice is important and I value you and your incredible history and all that you bring to the table 
for your interviews, and thank you for thinking of me during this time. Okay, my love. Well, um, we are going to stay in touch because right now it's you, me, and my cat. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you and me. I, I got, I got to go and, and try to get the cat to come out and talk to me again. Yeah. Uh, but you, give Lisa my love. And please be careful with yourself. I want to see you on the other side. I want to thank my guest, the mayor of Ypsilanti, Michigan, Beth Bashard. Beth is bringing all of her experience, compassion, and empathy to her friends, neighbors, and governance during these challenging times. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.